Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 95 and Hebrews 3 at the same time. I think I'm going to read out of Psalm 95 first. And we've been going through Hebrews on Sundays for the last few weeks. So we'll be back at Hebrews 3 as well. And you'll figure out pretty quick why I'm reading Psalm 95. So is everybody there? Psalm 95. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Notice little g gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his and he made it and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Now, who do you think wrote this psalm just by that verse right there? People might say, oh, we don't know who wrote this psalm. But when you see... For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. I would say that would be David, the shepherd boy David. And I'm going to show you, even though we don't see it here, I'm going to show you over in Hebrews where this is David, by what we're going to read next. Uh, Today... If ye will hear his voice. Now, there is a major transformation right here. There's a big transition from praising the Lord, being protected by him, knowing that he is our maker, and that we are the people of his pasture. He's, he is wanting to keep, take care of us. We're in a very safe place under the shepherd's hand and protection. But then it says, Today, if, if we will hear his voice... Harden not your heart as in the provocation and as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. Now, if you have a newer version of the Bible, it's going to say probably uh, Meribah and Massa right here. But that provocation is that time of testing and trial and doubting God in the day of temptation of the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation and said, it is a people that do err in their heart and they have not known my ways. Unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. That's a strong warning right there. Strong warning. Now, let's, you should already be, you should have your other uh, finger over here on Hebrews 3. Last week, we 
ended with verse 6, I'm pretty sure. But verse 6 is the, is the verse that I, I'm going to spend some time on, but I'm going to go back to it. Now, over in Psalm 95, when I started reading today, that was in verse 7, and it went through verse 11. Notice what Hebrews 3 says, starting with verse 7 going through verse 11. You hear what I said? Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11, and, verse, and verses 7 through 11 in Hebrews 3, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, I'm in, I'm in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, Today, if ye will hear his voice. That sound familiar? Harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me and proved me and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath. Now if God swears on something, you can, you can take it to the bank because it's going to happen. If, if we say that our word is true, how much more true is his word? So, he, so I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. That's scary. But notice how they match up. And it happens to be the same verses, 7 through 11. Isn't that cool? Now, we know that when the Bible was first written, it was a bunch of letters. Uh, Moses wrote the first five books, and that was separate. There was psalms written by different people, and they were all collected. And then one day, somebody uh, started picking the books of the Bible, and, and it made what we have right here that we read from that is so critical because these are the ways of God right here. And we are instructed to keep His ways. And if we don't, it says that we won't enter into His rest. Psalm 95 talks about being with God, knowing who God is, but then giving us a condition that we must stay with Him. We must continue with Him throughout our Christian walk. Okay, now for the, uh, going back to verse 6. It, there's, this, is, this is that condition verse. Back at verse 6, this is what we ended up with last week. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we? We are that tabernacle, we are that house, the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us. Jesus is hid in us. We're hid in Christ. Now, which is it? Have you ever heard of a paradox? A paradox. It's a figure of speech. I've got a little book here that uh, Larry and Linda Mulvihill gave me many, many years ago from John Phillips called Bible Explorer's Guide. And... 
there's a little section in here on figures of speech. Actually, it's a pretty big section on figures of speech in the Bible. And a paradox is one of the figures of speech that you will see throughout the Bible. And I'll give you an example here in a minute. Now, now continue with verse 6. If, all right, whose house are we if? That, that is a small word with big meaning. If we hold fast or hold tight the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Now that sounds like a condition that we have free will to the point that we make a choice for Jesus or we reject Him. We make a choice to follow God's ways or we make a choice not to. Whose fault is it if we don't follow God's ways? We can't blame anybody but ourselves. But there are those who will teach a doctrine that everything's predetermined, and there are certain ones who have been elected, and there's others who have not. So whose fault is it if you don't follow God's ways? Then you would have to blame God. That's scary to me. So we have the extreme of the sovereignty of God over here, and then we have this thing of free will, our choices that we have to make. But if God's already made our choices, or if He already knows everything we're going to do, then is free will, is it real? And so there are those who have the doctrine of free will, and they'll take it too far the other way, trying to counter the sovereignty of God, and He's already got everything predetermined, and that you're just a puppet on a string, and if you're going to be saved, it's because He already saved you, and if you're going to be lost, it's because you're already lost. So why do we pray for people? Why do we go and talk to people and minister to them and share the gospel story with them? Now, there seems to be a paradox because I cannot argue that God is not sovereign. He is very sovereign. But I also know that He has instructed me through His Word to preach the gospel to those who need to hear the Word. So let me, let me share what paradox means and give you a couple, a couple of examples. Paradox. A seeming contradiction, when we say, for instance, that we have to be cruel to be kind, we are employing paradox. Because God's wisdom often seems foolishness to human beings, there are numerous uses of paradox in the Bible. Whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Seems that, that's just an example for you of a paradox, a figure of speech. There are figures of speech all through the gospel, uh, the gospel message, all through the Bible. Figures of speech like uh, metaphors and similes. There are, there's even sarcasm. Anybody in here love sarcasm? You just love it, right? Sometimes not so much, but sarcasm makes things interesting. 
And even, even Elijah, when he was building that altar, he, was, he had that big competition up on the mountain. Was that Mount Carmel? And he told all the prophets of Baal to build their altars, and he let them go first. And they were cutting themselves and, and hollering, and they were calling for Baal to bring fire down to burn up their offerings. Elijah was sitting over to the side, relaxing, and he started making excuses. Maybe you should holler louder. Maybe you should do this. He knows there is no Baal. And he even said, well, maybe he went on a trip. Maybe he's on vacation. That's, that's sarcasm. And Elijah was doing it. So it's okay to be sarcastic from time to time, but you're on your own if you, if you get in trouble. But the preacher said, I could be sarcastic. Nah. Hey, you're on your own, whatever, whatever you get from it. All right, so getting back to, that, to, the, to the extreme doctrines one way or the other, I can take the book of Hebrews, and I can take you, let's say I, we have a brand new person that don't know much about the Bible, and I can take that person and, and I can set them down and I can go through just the book of Hebrews and handpick certain scriptures and show you and teach you how to be a good little Calvinist and, and all about the sovereignty of God. I, but I could also not talk about those scriptures, set all those to the side, and I could pick scriptures like, if you hold fast unto the end, and I can make what is called an Armenian out of you and show you all the scriptures in Hebrews about how it's all up to you, and I could even get you uh, depending on your works for your salvation. So I can get to one extreme or the other. Now, I am neither a Calvinist or what is called an Armenian. I'm neither one. I am a Bible believer. Because I'm not going to leave out any of the verses that are in Hebrews. We're going we're to speak every one of them. I will read every one of them. I will try to break down each and every one of them but I am a Bible believer. So I don't know what the term is. I'm into biblicalism. I, I, I don't know what to call it other than I'm just a simple Bible believer, not pretending that I understand the sovereignty of God. It's way too big for me. But I also know that we have a free will and God made that decision. Seems very risky. God could control everything you do. He is powerful enough to make you do everything right, but He doesn't. How does He know that you really, truly love Him unless you have equal opportunity to hate Him? How do, how do I know that I used to talk to the guys at the jail, and I, I know that there's a lot of uh, bad people, and you, you can have your, your wife or your girl, and does she really love you? I, just, I used to ask the guys at the jail, does she really love you? Does she have total 
confidence that she can walk away from you? Or is she scared to stay with you? Are you uh, threatening? Do they fear for their safety if they don't stay with you? But until you give them total confidence that they're free to leave, you don't know if they really love you or not. And I said, that's the way God is. God is not going to scare you and demand anything. He has given you the opportunity to walk away and do it your own way. And when you start to walk away and, you're, and you realize, you know what? My way is going to lead me to hell. I need God. His way is the right way. And you go to Him. He knows that you're trusting in Him. So you have a free will to go the other way. And all of us are instructed to be like Christ, to show love to those who are not lovable, because we know what Jesus has done for us. Now, let's, I'm going to try, I'm going I'm to read out of this little book that talks about that being a Bible believer. Now listen carefully. Now, Reading the Bible with a childlike faith, just believe it for what it says. Okay? When understood rightly, will, you, will, <laughs> you will see the paradoxes in it. You will see what seems like a contradiction. It seems that way. This is the case for all human and divine truth. To resort to logic that doesn't include all Scripture is to do disservice to the Word of God. When we try to take eternal divine realities, especially where they involve the nature of, nature of God, and frame them for human understanding, we will of necessity meet with these seemingly contradictions. That's what's going to happen. For instance, is God one or three, can you explain without promoting one over one over three? Can you explain that without promoting? All right, uh, the Bible teaches both. Was Jesus God or man while in the flesh? In regard to that question, why did he say he did not know the timing of the second coming? Remember that. What, what do he say? Only the Father knows. So that seems like they're different. One very, very human that doesn't know everything. But if we believe that Jesus was God manifest in the flesh, then we have to say he does know everything. But it seems like he didn't know everything at certain times. So he was showing his complete humanness, his weakness to be taken by force and nailed to a cross, but his ability to rise from the dead in a glorified body. Why did he say to the Father, not my will, but thine be done? Did his will differ from the Father's? Does God know all things, or does he learn? The Bible represents him both ways. When God wills something when he wills something, does it always come to pass? No, it doesn't. Not according to a number of passages. Then how is he sovereign? 
If God knows what is going to happen before it happens and nothing ever takes him by surprise, why does the Bible represent him as disappointed with the decisions of man? Finally, if God is sovereign, how can free will, choosing contrary to God's will, exist in his universe? And if our salvation is forever, why does he warn us against drawing back unto perdition? Can divine sovereignty and free will exist in the same universe? They do, according to all of Scripture, and that is a paradox, an enigma that we dare not attempt to resolve with our logic. We must allow the two parallel truths to exist side by side and believe everything God has to say without trying to hold Him to our three-dimensional time-space concepts. So, the challenge is to believe all that is in the Scriptures. Believe that in some way God chose you unto salvation and also that at your discretion you choose to believe the Gospel, only to discover that your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life from before the foundation of the world. By your response of believing, you were made a partaker of eternal life. It can now be said that you will never perish, neither will any man pluck you out of the Father's hand. At the same time, we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end, by which also ye are saved... If, here's another verse, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 2. And you also know that heaven is for believers and believers only. One who does not believe is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That's John 3, 18. By faith you stand, and now God warns you to continue in that faith once for all delivered to you. For it is impossible for those who were once... I read this last week. It was once impossible... All right. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the Word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open shame. That's Hebrews 6, 4-6. through 6. I remember reading that last week. You take your position in Christ seriously, and you know that you must continue to believe in the finished work of Christ. For if you deny Him... He will deny you. That's 2 Timothy 2.12. If you were to have trodden underfoot the Son of God and have counted the blood of the covenant wherewith you were sanctified an unholy thing and have done despite unto the Spirit of grace, you would become the object of sorer punishment under the vengeance of God. That's Hebrews 10.29-30. So what do we do? We live with the paradox, rejoicing in the free gift of salvation, and take heed 
to make our calling and election sure, for if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. That's 2 Peter 1.10. Only by embracing all Scripture on both sides of the issue, not diminishing the, imp- the import of any, will we be Bible-believing Christians living in assurance without the arrogance that comes from dead orthodoxy that absolves us of our responsibility to continue in Christ. So more and more I think that we must have a childlike faith. We have to just simply believe what the Word of God says. And try, don't be all intellectual and try to use human logic when it comes to the things of God. We have to be very, very careful about that. So there's all kinds of places in the Word of God that tells us to continue to believe if you hold fast or hold on tight to these things that were preached to you. If, if, if. Things that you, it's, it's believing or not. Do you believe or do you not believe? I'm going to continue reading at verse 12 of Hebrews 3. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Take heed. That's something for you to do. But you can't, as long as you remember the things you can't possibly do and then the things that you are expected to do, you can't do anything to take your sins away. Now, there are so many people that I have met over over my life that think that they have to get things right. I mean, you go out and invite people to come to church, and their mindset is, well, all right, I need to get this out of my life, this, this, and this. They'll make a list of things they need to clean up so that they can actually come into the church. No. It doesn't do you any good. You have to come just as you are. So... It would be like telling somebody, uh, you're in bad shape and you're going to die if you don't go to the doctor. And that person go, all right, well, i gotta, I got to clean, clean this stuff up. I mean, I don't want the doctor to see me in this mess. So you try to fix what's wrong with you before you ever go to the doctor. When you need to go to the doctor right away, don't try to heal yourself, get to the doctor. In departing from the living God. But exhort, 13, but exhort one another daily while it is called today. Now, I appreciate the people here at this church who understand that today might be the last day we have. So we have people that are very adamant about getting out and getting to people because they're so concerned about them, and that's wonderful. But we also got to be careful not to be overbearing and run people off. So yes, it is important that that you understand today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. What that means is 
we all have sin in our life somehow, some way. But if we don't learn that it's sin and we stay in our sin, our hearts can be hardened. I think I've gone over that a lot in the past, but not all of you have been here to hear all of that. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to explain just so you understand what the hardening of the heart is. You, without being a born-again child of God, you're just a normal person walking through life, you have a guilty conscience when you do something wrong, right? You have that. It's built inside of you, whether you know anything about the Bible or not. When you hurt someone, you feel guilty for it. When you take something that's not yours, you're looking around to see anybody who's watching. There is a guilty conscience. But if you keep getting by, if you're getting away with those sinful things that you're doing, and you can think about whatever your sins are, it, with today's phones and technology, you can get online and you can look at things that are very sinful. And if you think you're getting away with it, when you first feel guilty about those things that you do, and you get away with it, your heart starts to be hardened, and finally those things that used to embarrass you become normal. And when you keep progressing the wrong way, you're, you're going, you keep getting into that, your heart gets hardened more and more and more to the point where you are too far gone for you to ever make a decision. Now, somebody could pray over you, and God can do amazing work in you, and you could be what everybody else wrote you off, and you're the worst person in town, and everybody's like, oh, he's, he's, he's definitely with the devil. And then God can do a miracle in that person's life and bring them back. You can never be too far gone for God. Now, you can be too far gone for yourself, and we know that, and that's why we are so adamant about making sure people understand, don't do that sin. Well, uh, you say that I, ca I can't not do sin and get saved. Well, we don't want you to sin because your heart's going to be hardened over time, and you're going to get yourself in a position where you're lost forever. You'll never make a good decision. That's why we preach the Bible. And then, when you become a believer, you can still do things that aren't right, that could be sin, that could keep you from ever doing the things that God has called you to do. 14. For we are made partakers of Christ. If, here's another if, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. So, no one can pluck you out. No one can take you. But you're instructed to keep believing, keep holding on to those things that you know, until the end. While it is said, today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. I did a message, you could probably find it, you can get on, uh, you know, do, do the podcast, go, go to the podcast, and you can go back and find the message on Meribah. And that talks about the provocation and the tempting. That's basically when, when Moses was uh, in the wilderness with the people, and they were thirsty, the first time it happened, he hit the rock with, the, uh, with his rod, and the, the rock gave them water. L many, many years later, 40 years later, the same thing happens over again. 
and God told Moses to speak to the rock, but yet he, in his arrogance, went up to it, and he did what he did the first time, and he hit the rock. Water did come forth, but God was very angry with him because he basically, it would be like me saying, I have the way of salvation. You need to come and see me, and I'll get you right with God. That would be a horrible thing for me to do. But that's what Moses did when he hit the rock the second time. He was, what he was doing in type and picture, he was crucifying Christ over again. The rock of our salvation, Psalm 95, the very first verse I read, the rock of our salvation, Jesus was that rock, and he was smitten for us That when Moses hit, hit it. The, the life-giving water rushed from that. We were cleansed and we were able to drink of that water. The second time it happened, he was supposed to speak to it, but he hit it. You do not crucify Christ again. That's the backstory on, on the provocation. And you'll have to go back to uh, Exodus and then Numbers. Come see me if you want the, uh, the details on that. Okay, uh, 16. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. Almost all of them were dying in the wilderness, but there was just a remnant that made it to the promised land. 17, but with whom was he grieved 40 years? Was it not with them that sin whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? 18, and to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? Remember, it's about believing or not believing. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Notice how Hebrews chapter 3 matches up with Psalm 95 almost perfectly. It's Jesus is better than Moses. He is so much better. You, have, you're, you are being protected by Jesus. He is the shepherd. He is protecting his sheep in the pasture. He is making sure you lay down by the still waters. He is everything to you, but you could wander away. Now, to prove that that psalm was from David, remember I told you I was going to show you in the New Testament, so if you just uh, scroll down to chapter 4, verse 7, says, Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying, In David, today, after so long a time, as it, it is said, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. That's why I say it's David. That's just the proof text right here, that the Holy Spirit inspired the writer of Hebrews that David was the one who wrote Psalm 95. Sound good? All right. We are done. We are done with uh, the message. I hope, say, I, I want to, I just want to make sure that you are reading the Word of God for yourself it, it needs to be a, just a passion and desire for you to wake up and want to read the Word of God. You should want to get some of this inside of your mind and in your heart every single day. You, you need to take over your spiritual life as far as doing the thing, learning what God's ways are. So, let's pray. Heavenly Father,
We thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, I pray that we would be a people who would want to follow your ways. That we would remember the wonderful story of Jesus coming down, taking on all of our sin, on himself and dying in our place, shedding his blood so that we could be washed whiter than snow. Father, we thank you for that. Father, we just want to lift you up everywhere we go. Father, be with each and every person that has come out here today. Father, I pray that we would just be a people who show your love to those who need to know you. Thank you for your many blessings. In Christ's name we pray, amen.